you got to deliver a promise. Uh, you have to have a problem and then offer them a solution in the headline. If you like more information, please enter your name and email here. And then your other marketing should kick in at that point, which is exactly where, you know, Lee Simple helps me. So once I capture their name and email, such that they've raised their hand, then we go into a sequence of emails, phone calls, texts. You know, they have a whole sequence that they kind of go through. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Muela, and today I'm interesting Mike Lautensack. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Mike, tell us a little bit about your business as it stands today. Uh, Delval Realty and Property Management. We're based out of Philadelphia. Uh, we serve Philadelphia and maybe the re- western suburbs of Philadelphia. Uh, we started business in December of 2006. So I think we're on our 17th year, almost getting close to 20 years. Um, and we've grown the entire time. I mean, we started out just doing property management, like a lot of people here. Uh, probably about 10 or 12 years ago, we added HOA business. Uh, pretty early on, I was very lucky. I hired uh, a guy to run my maintenance division, and he's been great. Still with me today, 17 years later. So we actually, a couple of years ago, we spun that piece of our business off into a separate company. And uh, we do sales and leasing. Uh, so we have a you know, brokerage firm also. How many is staff? Right now, we probably have, if you count with the maintenance folks, probably around 35 to manage the process. And then there's probably eight or nine of those are uh, uh, leasing agents. And how many associations and how many doors? Uh, on the rental side, we manage about 1,600 doors. On the HOA side, we manage, we just got our 100th uh, HOA client. Mm. So that was a big deal. We took all the staff out for happy hours. So that was a nice event. Uh, that piece of the business right now is growing tremendously. Uh, we manage probably 35, 3,600 doors. Uh, on the sales side, we'll do 60 to 75 sales. And then the maintenance, probably we'll do around $4 million or so in maintenance work. Mm. Mike, 17 years in, what's the best and worst part of being in this business? Well, that's changed over the years quite a bit. Uh, certainly, the best part is just the reward of doing it. I'm a pretty passionate about this business. I, I really enjoy it. I enjoy serving our clients and our tenants. Uh, it really does focus and drive me a little bit. Um, the worst part, at least recently, has been post-pandemic with the staffing issues. It, mm. it, it has been really quite uh, quite humbling. Tell me. Um, you know, the staffing issues, just the turnover is kind of, I've never seen anything like it. People constantly want more. They'll leave you for 25 cents to go to your competitor. I mean, it's it's gotten really crazy. So it's been a real dramatic change, uh, you know, the point where as the owner of the company, I'm probably spending 50% of my time on HR issues, hiring people. Um, so it's just been, now we're lucky right now. We're really kind of getting, I think at the back end of that process, uh, I think we've gotten most of the people uh, in place, but it's been a real struggle over the last two years. Let's roll the clock back to the outset. 17 years ago, how did you get your start in the business? Um, I owned, uh, back in early two thousands, I bought 
a number of investment properties myself. At one point, I probably got up to about 25 properties, but I still had a full-time corporate job. I was doing bankruptcy work. Um, in 2006, if you remember, the economy was roaring, banks were lending, and, and there was no bankruptcies. So my, my company had announced they were going to shut down our division. So I was kind of left without a position at that point. So one of my guys said, why don't you try offering management services for other people? And I hadn't even thought about it or kind of even know about it. So we tried it. We started marketing, and, and I was shocked. Uh, there was a lot of demand, and I still laugh because back then, there was literally one company that was a competitor in Philadelphia. Today, there's probably— How big is Philadelphia? One competitor? What's the population one. of Philadelphia? <laughs> Two million plus. Mike, this is something I don't understand. I <laughs> consider myself fairly well-connected. I have so few uh, deep connections in the Northeast. Yeah. NARPM representation in the Northeast it's is very odd, unique. isn't it? How do you explain? I mean, even back then, that seems crazy to have one competitor in a two million person city. Yeah. And that guy ended up going to jail because he apparently was stealing security deposits. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but today, there's probably 50 people or more that if I Google them all, it's unbelievable. You know, all these franchises that every day I, there's another company I've never heard of offering services so and and we really enjoyed a, a lot of growth over the years and then i recently i can tell it's plateaued a little bit mm. at least on the rental side and uh, i think largely because there's just so much competition out there today mm. Mm. Um, but yeah it's been interesting um you know we saw s some of these franchise start 10 12 years ago and some of them aren't around today but they're just popping up like weeds at this point. They're just everywhere. So you could just feel this industry is really changing. So what did the early days look like in terms of the structure of the company and growing it, getting off the ground, getting your first couple hundred units? Uh, early on, I did pretty much like most guys here, probably did everything. Um, I did have one or two people. I had some maintenance guy I mentioned. I had an administrative person, but I would go out and get the business. I would go out and do the leasing. I, if they had a maintenance call, I would at least go look at it. I mean, that's how bad it was early on. But we grew the company and slowly uh, we brought some salespeople on and then we eventually were operating. I was literally operating out of my basement. Uh, so we had to get a physical office. So we did that maybe two or three years in. And uh, we were there for maybe 10 years and then we continued to grow. And then as I mentioned, probably 15 years ago, we started doing HOA management. So that really also started to really accelerate the growth. Um, but yeah, so we've just grown slow and steady. Uh, my, I'm still very active in the business, probably too active, just doing too much still even today. What but, do you think your hourly workload is, ballpark? Me, it's probably not too bad, 50, 60 hours a week kind of thing. Okay, so you're still, you're definitely still in it for oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. So that in light of what you just said, that decision 10 years ago to get into HOA, which is like more problems, more surface area, et cetera. What drove that decision and what are your reflections on HOA contrasted against single family? Uh, I got into it because, uh, you know, like a lot of people, somebody just said, hey, would you mind managing this HOA for me? I said, fine. So we, we managed a couple. And then I had been in contact with a woman who managed about 40 communities. And I tried to buy a business. It didn't work. Uh, so about a year later, I reached out to her a second time and uh, the deal happened very quickly at that point. So uh, we bought like 40 contracts. So that gave us enough volume to hire people and to staff it. Uh, prior to that, we were running it more or less out of the rental division. Mm. But with that influx of business, we were able to kind of 
make it a standalone division. Um, and in the Northeast, I mean, every house that's being built today is in an HOA. I mean, it's just, there's no other way. And it's gotten a lot more complicated managing HOAs. The pandemic had some impact on that, but uh, today, the HO, a lot of boards just can't do it themselves. So that a lot of them are realizing that and they're they're you know reaching out. But that business is growing tremendously right now. Um, it almost feels like it just the business is just coming at us without even really doing very much right now. And what's the difference in experience operations for somebody that's doing well and all in on the single family and is thinking about HOA? How would you kind of frame the opportunity and the competencies that are required to do well there that are different from single family? It's definitely different. Uh, it is more, um, you know, you're dealing with owners, first of all. Uh, you're going to be dealing with people that are parking in a, somebody else's spot. They're going to both be screaming at you, hey, that was my spot. You know, So you have some of that. but it, And you're going to have to make a decision. If you're going to do it, You have to. it's a volume business. I mean, the margins are thin, and you have, to, you have to do it in a large way. You can't do it in a small way. You're not going to make any money. Uh, so it is definitely a business you've got to commit to. You're going to have to grow quickly and get up to scale where you can hire enough people to kind of manage that piece of business. But the margins tend to be pretty thin. On HOA? Yeah. Okay, so why do it? It's a volume business. One, it's there. Uh, Two, it's predictable. So I can sign a contract today. I know one-year contract. The odds of them renewing are very, very high. I mean, probably 98%, 99%. They're going to renew. In some cases, we do three-year contracts. So you know that piece of business is locked in. Stable. Where? On the rental piece, you know, you can get some of that ups and downs. Mm, that's compelling, the stability on that side of the business. What about sharing resources? How much shared resources do you have between the two business units? Uh, we do. I mean, obviously, there's going to be, uh, we have one office we all use. We have one receptionist. We have one insurance bill that covers the entire uh, we have one payroll, you know, so there are a lot of shared uh, services and you can kind of allocate overhead to these various departments. Um, but at some point, as I mentioned, you really have to drive it into a separate piece of business. You can't run it out of your rent division. So you have to make a commitment to get it to a certain size where you can start hiring people and maybe uh, somebody to run that division. One of the things that I've noticed about you is that I see you having an eye for marketing. It's something that you pay attention to. I've seen your company put out graphics at different times, yep. um, pieces of content, et cetera. How do you think about marketing and how impactful has that been in growing the business? Uh, well, I've always loved marketing. Uh, uh, it's part of, I think, why I was able to grow the business because I do study it. I learn, I have made mistakes and, and I continue to grow. But um you know, I'm a big believer in Dan Kennedy and, and you know, I've always... Joe Polish, yeah. Joe Polish a little bit, Dan Kennedy more, um, using some of his techniques and, and strategies. I still go, you know, read his newsletter every single month. Um, I love but that. But I'm a big believer in getting people to raise their hand. Whatever that mechanism might be, you need somebody to raise their hand and then you can kind of go after them and try to close them but you need them to raise their hand. That's where I see a lot of people just start calling people. Tell, tell, what does that mean? What, is this, what does raising hand mean? What is well, you, you put out some marketing, maybe um, a newsletter or something. That we in, in Philadelphia, we have a HOA newsletter that goes out to all the lawyers and board members and all that. We advertise. People call us. That, to me, is raising their hand. They've expressed some interest. Uh, we use uh, all property um, 
to get leads also. So once they've raised their hand, then you can go and, and try to close them. But it's the you got to get them to raise their hand, give them some information. Uh, I'm sure you do it uh, with you know, your companies too. But um, you got to get them to raise their hand, and then you can go in and, and try to close the sale. There's too many people trying to close people that are not really customers or couldn't be customers, even if they were able to close them. A dilution um, of focus. Dilution of focus, wasting their time on people that have never become a client. Uh, you have to identify them pretty quickly, whether they can become a client, and then you can kind of go all in on them. So how do you get somebody to raise their hand? Marketing. I mean, through uh, guarantees. We were a big company in guarantees. Offer positioning. Yeah. So we, we, we try to make it a little bit less in the HOA, but on the rental side, we offer very strong guarantees. I've always done it. For example, we have a 90-day guarantee where first 90 days you can terminate us. I'll give you 100% of your management fees back. Plus, now it's 500. It used to be 200. But today, inflation, uh, we offer you $500. So That's a really it's strong all guarantee. in guarantee. So it's, and I've had thousands of clients, and I've had two people. I've had oh wow! Up. I was going to say that's the first thing people are thinking. What's your downside risk exposure? Two, twice, twice. a thousand bucks. Yeah. Seventeen years. Ooh. No, four hundred dollars because it used to be two hundred bucks. <laughs> we raised it a couple of years ago. Mike, that is incredible. A downside of four hundred dollars at the upside of building that level of confidence with all those prospects over the years. Yep, that's another Dan Kennedy strategy is all in on the marketing and the guarantees, uh, complete risk reversal. You have to make it, you your clients should be able to sign up and uh, have complete uh, confidence that if they don't like it, they can get out without getting hurt. Uh, you know, Sears used to do it with their tools. You know, it doesn't matter. 20 years later, one of their tools breaks. You can take it back and they'll guarantee it. Now, what's um, the backstop? There's definitely some con some contextual notes here for me. Those would be you have to be confident in the quality of your service, right. and you have to be appropriately qualifying who you're letting in the door. Absolutely. Talk to me about client qualification and and kind of the parameters that you set of who you will and won't work with. Yeah, it's changed a little bit over the years. Uh, early on, we probably took on too many clients that will, you know, Philadelphia is a, a rough tough neighborhood. I mean, there's a lot of low-end Class C properties. And we had to, uh, we took on too many times. For example, we took on one client, she had 40 or 50 really rough properties. And it almost took the entire company down. I mean, it literally, it was so overwhelming. The maintenance, nobody was paying rent. Uh, it was just a disaster. Um, so, you know, probably within four or five months, I terminated and I was one of the happiest days of my life. <laughs> And it literally, it felt like a weight taking us down. Uh, so uh, so we've gotten better at that. I've gotten better at that. Uh, you know, I'll take a few bad properties, but uh, we're definitely better at kind of spreading them out and kind of being more picky on that area. Okay, so we talked about offer. I think about that being lower in the funnel. That's almost more of a sales consideration. Talk to me more about higher in the funnel, top of funnel, uh, eyeballs, attraction. Uh, well, we do the marketing like everybody else with uh, all property and, you know, we've done some Google ads. We don't do a lot of that anymore, but it's great headlines. It's great guarantees. Headlines? Absolutely. Tell me more about headlines. I don't hear my, my people talking about that much. Absolutely. Your basic, uh, you know, premise or your basic uh, promise has got to be in your headline. Uh, we used to use, a, I got talked out about. You know, we used to say, you know, the company to call when you know, you're tired of dealing with tenants. We used to call it three T's. When you're tired with dealing with three T's, tenants, toilets, and townships. That used to be our headline. Um, but I got talked out of that one recently. Um, 
But yeah, just great headlines with a promise, guarantees, risk reversal, make sure you do that. Um, testimonials, you have to be able to show that other people are using you. You have to be able to demonstrate that they're not the first one or something. How, how do you get a testimonial and how do you craft it to make sure it's the right kind of impactful testimonial? Uh, we've worked a lot on that recently. Uh, we, we use a lot of different ways. Our staff is incentivized to do it. We reward staff when they do it. We send it out to all the other staff. You know, one of our employees gets a five-star review. We make sure we make a big deal about it. Uh, so we're encouraging them to do it. If I ever see a client say anything nice, we have systems in place. We have pre-done links. We just send it out. Hey, would you mind giving us a five-star review? And we tell them, give us a five-star review. We don't tell them, would you give us a review? Uh, we kind of make it clear what we're expecting. Hmm. Um, the headline piece, I just want to come back to that again. The head, When you say headline, I'm thinking um, direct writing, uh, direct to mail, direct copywriting. I'm thinking uh, Boron Letters, Gary Halpert. There's a whole canon of, of research around that. But the counterintuitive suggestion could be summed up as thus. Invert the amount of time that you are inclined to spend on the headline versus the rest of the body copy email, essay, the amount of time you're naturally inclined to, to spend on the bulk of the essay or whatever, invert that and spend that time on the headline. Absolutely. Which is deeply counterintuitive. In fact, Mike, I struggle to get this across with my own staff. I, I, I have not quite managed how to not make that seem somewhat crazy. And today there's tools like ChatGPT. You can go out and say, write five headlines you can tell them, I want interesting, compelling headlines about this or that, and it'll give you uh, examples. You can even pick one, give me five more with the, you know, based on this one. Uh, so there's ways to do it, but uh, you gotta deliver a promise. Uh, you have to have a problem and then offer them a solution in the headline. Mm. Uh, but you're right, the headline is the single most important item because if you don't get them past the headline, they're not going in, the rest of it doesn't matter. It could be blank. Uh, it really, it goes nowhere, right? It's, it's headlined first sentence all the way through, you know, and if you keep people to the end, well, great, good for you. But the battle is really won within the first immediacy of what people see. Same thing with the landing page, right? Going to website, people are making an implicit, non-articulable judgment as soon as they hit the website. We don't, we don't even know what's going on in our heads, but something about the first impression in the first three seconds around quality, load time, uh, offer, all of that dramatically colors whether or not it feels like it makes sense to scroll down from there. Well, not only that, but you have to think and write in two ways. You have to write, person may read the whole thing word for word. Mm -hmm, or skim. Uh, or skip. And you have to write that way. So we really focus on bullet points bolded text to make sure they could just skim those highlighted items and get the same message if they read the whole thing. Hmm. They should be able to get the same thing out of both. Tell me a little bit more about your website. I love that we're going deep on marketing. <laughs> this is not a common conversation. Well, I love marketing. <laughs> tell me about the, the website. How do you think about the, the, the flow and, and conversion and kind of the funnel on your website? Uh, websites are slightly different in the sense that, yes, you want all those headlines and stuff, but you are... Remember, your audience on a website is really Google. Mm. <laughs> I mean, so you have to write websites today designed for Google and what their needs are. So you have to put keywords in there. You have to have a stuffed, what they call keyword stuffing, where you have to put the keyword six or eight times on a page. What about from like a conver <laughs> uh, conversion perspective, though? 
it's the same thing. Headline, some promises, and then a solution. And then if you like more information, please enter your name and email here. And then your other marketing should kick in at that point, which is exactly where, you know, Lead Simple helps me. So once I capture their name and email, such that they've raised their hand, then we go into a sequence of emails, phone calls, text. You know, they have a whole sequence that they kind of go through. How did you get into the blog content and the infographics? I find what you're producing genuinely interesting. I've actually looked at it somewhat recently. How did that become? A, can you just describe what you're doing there and how that became a thing? You know, it's just something I do. I don't know if it's even, you know, for example, the I think the infographic you were talking about, we've been working on for a few months recently. Uh, but I want a few good infographs so I can then publish those on different sites. And you can then create links back to your website. And it's a great way to drive traffic to your, to your page. So these infographics provide some information, that's some of it, but it's also, there's a lead magnet to drive traffic. Oh, 100%, but what I see <clears> you doing is you're exposing internal information, so it's real content. And right. The fundamental dichotomy is, are you thinking of marketing as a way to do some sneaky stuff to get an outcome that you don't deserve because your content sucks, but you want leads? Or are you trying to earn it by producing something of quality that you as a consumer would want to read? Absolutely, you know, it's, it's the latter. Uh, you know, I believe in quality content. I mean, I write blogs myself. I love doing it. I've written a book. Um, you know, so all this stuff I think is high quality content. And today, if you're not writing high quality content, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. I mean, you'll be flagged so quickly by Google and and your listeners and readers. So it won't matter very much. Um, but yeah, I'm always looking for ways to provide more information. Again, it's kind of my philosophy is that I want to serve my clients. I want to make their lives better. And that's done through content. It's done through information. They crave it. They want the, you know, it's almost like they want to watch the news and the news being property management news. So they want to know what's going on. Philadelphia's got a lot going on. There's a lot, lot happening. Um, so we, we provide them with information. We provide them with advice, guidance, all of that. Tell me about the book. You described the process a little bit earlier, but the goal with the book, this is directed at, at who? At it's a, the individual investors, anywhere from zero to 50 properties. It's the smaller investor giving them- Self-managing. Self-managing. There are, and I described this in chapter one, there are probably, if you want to go out and buy books, tapes, courses on real estate investing, there's just millions so of options. But on property management, not much. Um, and it's not a lot designed for the smaller investors. So- I think there's a real area there where they need help because ultimately buying a property is not the panacea everybody thinks. You ultimately, you got to put a tenant in there and you got to get them to pay rent. If they don't pay rent, your investment's not going to produce. Right. So if you can't manage a property or hire a property manager, one of the two, but if you only have a few properties, you probably want to manage it yourself. So it just provides them with a lot of strategies and tips not only how to manage it, but how to do it for maximum profit. So how to look for ways to increase profit. Um, how are you going to position this book effectively as a lead gen tool? Uh, like most people are writing books today, it, it basically will be exactly that. It'll be a giveaway. Anybody that inquires about our services is going to get a, a free book from me. And just to demonstrate expertise uh, depth of knowledge, all that. So it kind of pre-sells for me. Then I would call the individual a day or two later 
He's gotten the book. He'll never read it probably, but he'll see it and then he knows I'm the expert. Well, that's, isn't that the perverse thing? But some people think like, well, if you give away all the information, Mike, why are they going to call you? The reality is the more information you give away, the more people come to the conclusion, boy, this is just a bit much. I didn't know there was this much to it. I just call Mike. No, you nailed it right on the head. That's the whole point of it is, you know, they go through all the security deposit issues, dealing with pets, de fair housing issues. They're like, oh, this is ridiculous. I'll just pay Mike to do it. <laughs> 9%, I'll just pay Mike to do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a reasonable conclusion to come to. Right. So the, the book, what's the title of the book? Uh, Landlord Secrets, A Complete Guide for Managing Your Rental Properties for Maximum Profit. My experience with content <clears throat> is that it is also somewhat counterintuitive to think about the reward as being, uh, you think about a graph, y-axis, x-axis, the growth of the reward is not linear. It's not like crappy content, slightly better content, really good content. Like it doesn't look like that. It's more like it's parabolic, right? You you uh, exert a lot of effort, more effort, more effort. And then finally, when you cross a certain threshold of like you really lean in, then parabolically it goes up very aggressively. And that's the magic. The, con the best content, was it the best? The most comprehensive content I think I've ever produced was the first content that I produced in my career. It was a hiring guide for how to hire a property manager. It took me three months to write. I vividly remember being at a Starbucks after it was closed outside with my laptop plugged into the wall at like 11 at night. I had never managed property, so I had no idea what I was doing. Like I was banging my head against the wall. But through all that sweat and effort, I shipped something. Was it the best ever? I don't know. What I do know is it was good enough to have enduring value. And Mike, that piece of content over the next 15 years has just kept producing. I don't know. I don't even run that business anymore. It's a side venture. But good content stands the test of time. What have you seen in terms of building a flywheel. PPC is like, it's one off. You're renting a right. channel. Organic is what you own. What have you seen in terms of the correlation between time and effort and growth in organic traffic? Well, early on, that was my main marketing strategy was articles. Uh, and I used to do them. I'd write the article where I would do, you know, we call it webinars back then. Today, I guess they're called podcasts. But we would then, uh, we would have a service record it, write it down, and then we'd chop it into 10 articles. And we, you know, that's why I have five, six, seven, eight hundred articles out there. Um, we would do a 30 minute interview, we get mm. 10 articles mm. out of it. Mike, this is <laughs> five to six hundred articles in the backlog that you did personally, not a third party service. That, most of them are still out there and they're still driving traffic. Not a lot, but they're still driving traffic. Long tail. Yeah. Wow. And they're not very good, just like you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you're figuring it out, but but it's hard, fell. Like you're trying, as well, again, as opposed <clears> to outsourcing it or using ChatGPT. I'm not a big believer that ChatGPT, but it's it's too accessible, right? It's a race to the bottom right now. Yeah, and it's a tool like anything else, uh, it, you know, but for organic search specifically, right. that's where it falls short. For conversion related copy, if you can get some juice, you can get some juice. Yeah. No, it, it has weaknesses. I've already discovered a lot of them that, you know, you still have to be involved. You still have to write it yourself. But again, it does do a first draft and then you can come in and edit. So that's where it uh, works for me. Uh, and I like it because I can find somebody else's article that really is interesting. I cut and paste it, drop it into ChatGPT and ask it to rewrite it. 
100% original, and then I will then go and make some edits and, and add my own little inputs. But I can have an article done in 30 minutes. So as you've made this investment <clears throat> in growth and you're growing, what are some of the inflection points, like numerically with unit count? Where did you feel like the business kind of um, broke and had to be rebuilt? What were the key inflection points? You know, we've been very steady over the years. We did a couple of acquisitions, so we had a couple jumps in, in door counts and whatnot over the years. Um, you know, the business for me has been fairly easy up until maybe the last 18 months or two years. And I, to me, it's gotten very difficult, largely because of the HR stuff. Uh, so, you know, we've been very lucky uh, and I write a pretty tight ship. I mean, financially, our, our books are as good as anybody. Uh, you know, we're not perfect, but we run a pretty tight ship. So we've had some turnover. We have some churn like everybody else, but it's not too bad. Uh, but we're able to to continue to grow. But the last 18 months has been def difficult, uh, mostly with staffing. Uh, we've lost some clients, some bigger clients as a result. Uh, so, you know, that's been a real challenge. But up until then, I would say we are growing steadily and there was never kind of a, you know, we're going down kind of moment. As I said, I'm 17 years, I've made payroll every two weeks. <laughs> are you a squad, pod, portfolio? What's your structure? What's that? Um, it's interesting. We used to do kind of individual portfolios up until like 18 months ago. And then I felt we, I wanted to go to more of a team concept or pod. Um, and we've been trying that for about a year. And we recently decided that that wasn't working either. So we were going back to the, the portfolio model. Uh, so we've struggled with that as part of it. The, we've had a lot of staff turnover, so that's contributed to that. Um, so yeah, you know, up until then we'd done the portfolio model. Um, but I felt like one of our problems has been an individual has a portfolio, they go away on vacation or they get sick, that portfolio would kind of get ignored. Mm -hmm. You know, we would have somebody else, the email would go, but I mean, it was getting ignored. So I really was trying to come up with a solution where there would be a team of two or three people. If somebody's on vacation, the other two would be able to service the clients. Um, but we struggled with it. I'm not totally sure why, and I wish I knew, but we decided to go back to the portfolio model recently. What's one piece of advice that you would have given your younger self when you were first starting the business? Um, I don't know. You know, I just kept my head down all these years. I just keep my head down and I just kept working. You know, I didn't. I don't get too distracted by the future, even though I'm always looking the future. I don't get too distracted by it. I stay fairly present, but I do definitely have goals and I have plans where I'm going. You know, our current company right now is uh, we're looking over the next three years to probably double in size, hmm. you know, all the divisions. So, you know, so what's so, the advice I'm mean, like, stay the course, stay the course. You got to keep with it and uh, you got to get good at things like marketing. You got to get good at developing your team. That's an area that I'm still growing and still getting better at because um, you got ultimately you got to have good people. And that's really the, the so that you have to develop your people and you have to ultimately be able to take a step back. Even though I'm still pretty busy in the business, I, I'm getting much better at, at not so much the day-to-day -day stuff, mm. more kind of the strategy stuff. So, um, and that's a tough one. That's a that's kind of a leap of faith that you got to make as a, as an owner at some point that you'll kind of stop doing in the business, stop working on the business. Mm. And if there's one, if you could wave a magic wand and make one thing different about property management, what would it be? Um, that's a great question. I don't know. That's probably 10 or 15. You know, it is still a very labor-intensive business. 
It is our cost is probably 80, 85% of our cost is labor. Uh, I think there's a lot going on technology-wise that are going to change some of that, but it's still a labor business. You have tenants that are emotionally involved. You have owners that are emotionally involved, and trying to keep those parties happy is a really tough thing. That's why this business is so hard. Mm. Uh, you know, we're not making widgets and selling them somewhere. Um, you know, what may seem like a minor issue to you, a leaking faucet, you know, is keeping that tenant up at three in the morning. So, you know, it becomes very emotional to them. To us, it's like a $200 fix, but they've been awake for the last three nights here in this trip. So it becomes very emotional to them. Who have been some mentors to you in business? Uh, certainly NARPM has been uh, a, 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 definitely a role in terms of development. So there's no question. I mentioned Dan Kennedy. Uh, I'm a strategic coach. Uh, went there. Who's your coach and strategic, strategic coach? Uh, uh, it was 10 years ago, 12 years ago okay. at this point. <laughs> I forget her name. It was a woman. Um, but yeah, I went there for three years to their program, which is outstanding. Uh, it's a great program. Highly recommended. Uh, so that, that kind of... You know, Dan Sullivan, who runs that program, is a great person to read his books and all that also. Who in NARPM do you have close relationships with? Uh, you know, your team, uh, certainly, uh, with the um, the all-property folks, with them. I mean, Brian Birdie I've talked to several times, mm -hmm. uh, Mark Cunningham, mm -hmm. uh, a few of those individuals. Some familiar names. Mark actually uh, endorsed my book. Oh, did he? Yeah, so that was very nice of him. I love that. So when will the book, where, where could somebody go on Amazon? How does somebody get a copy of the book? Yep, well, uh, it'll be on Amazon, and it will be uh, an audible form too, once we get that done. But I can share it with you if you want to share it with your listeners. That would be great. Are, are you going to be doing the audible? No. You'll have somebody else. Yeah, the I'll somebody else. Okay. I might. I don't know. I haven't really thought, but we are doing it in the audible format. Yeah, I like it. I, I'm, personally, I'm into it when authors do their own. Oh, you have to today because most people, most professionals don't want to sit there and read a book. Uh -huh. Yeah, they're in their car and they're listening to it. So that's kind of the modern. I like hearing it from the author's voice, though, is yeah. what I'm saying. I think that's- You that's could add a, a little bit. Yeah, especially when you like have some other context for them. Yeah. Well, Mike, I appreciate you coming on, sharing your story Absolutely. and your journey. I'm wishing you the best with the business, and I'm excited to get my hands on a copy of Landlord Secrets. Well, thank you. And hey, your product's been great. I've been using it for years. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for saying that, Mike. All right. All right, talk soon. All right, thank you. Bye. That's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. You can check out other episodes along the way. If you're watching this on YouTube, appreciate to subscribe. Any comments, I'm always here to engage. If you're listening on an audio platform, we'd really appreciate a review. It's a great way to help other people find out about the show.